I was, I was like 14 or 15 years old. And I was going through this phase in my life where I did not think going to school was a very top priority. <laughs> and so I started to skip a class. And then I started to skip a day. And then I started to skip a week. And then, and then, I mean, you know, if you skip a week, who can, you know, why don't you just start fresh the next month? And it just got really bad, really bad. Well, as you can imagine, the, the school system was not going to put up with that. And they sent a card Anybody got one of those little yellow or pink cards? Yeah, right? All right, we got a couple of sinners in this space. Yeah, all right. Woohoo! All right. Yeah, I know all the rest of y'all did everything right, but there's two or three of us who didn't. Uh, okay. So, so it came through, and, and I did not get there early enough to stop it from getting it into the wrong hands, which in my case was my older brother, because my father wasn't around anymore, and my, you know, in Puerto Rican households, right, it's whoever's oldest, the oldest male is the one who takes uh, charge. So, so my brother really got into this um, thing about being like the head of the house. No, but like really got into it, right? He was like five years older than me, he was really strong, and he really believed that he could, you know, beat some sense into me, right? And so I remember walking up the stairs and listening to him, my mother trying to calm him down and listening to him screaming about what he was going to do to me because I had missed like 35 days of school in like a period where there only had been like 45 days of school. And so I didn't say that process took a long time, that whole day, week, month thing. Okay, so uh, what happened was is that I, I heard what he was going to do and I said, well, thank you very much. I walked back downstairs. And it was a funny thing. I went to um, uh, Pastor Ray's house and I, I tried to convince him to uh, uh, go to California with me. And uh, that was the only thing I could think of, right? He was like, where are we going to go? And I was like, this is like one time he was actually rational, right? He's like always down for everything. This time he's like, where are we going to go? How are we going to make money? He was all sorts of rational. And so um, did that. And then after a few hours, realized I couldn't go to Florida or California and all that stuff. And so went back home and said, okay. I'm going to just kind of accept my punishment. So I walked up the stairs, and like, it was like a Christmas miracle, right? And what he did was he sat me down, and he talked to me. It was the first, it was the only uh, time this ever happened. And he talked to me, and he told me, hey, Ed, you know, you're, you're a smart kid, man. I, I think better of you. I think that you could do better than this. And it was like a two, it wasn't like a five-second conversation. It was like a two-hour conversation. It's one of the most significant, meaningful conversations I ever had. And at the, in the strength of that conversation, that one two-hour conversation, I went to school for like 14 days. <laughs> I did. Every day. Every day. It was awesome. Changed my life. Why do I tell you that story? The reason I tell you that story is because my brother was trying to get through to my head of what he knew was best for me. And he tried every way he knew to talk me into going in the way that he knew I should go. He knew that if I followed what he said, if I did what he asked, that I would be far better off. And he was right. He really was right. Well, this 
Advent season, we started a Christmas series because everybody knows that Christmas is about presents. And many of us will go and uh, pay money and max out our credit cards and to try to get the kind of presents for the people that we love and try to get them the gifts that we think they need or deserve or whatever. And so we, we do that, but God is saying, no, 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 Christmas is not about that kind of presence. It's about God's presence. The presence of God that would be with you during the times where your eyes don't stop crying, where the marriage looks all but gone, where the children are completely rebellious. God is saying this Christmas, I am present with you. I am not only present with you, I am your present. I am your gift. I am the one who will not only be with you, I am for you and I will be with you and guide you. No matter how dark it's gotten, no matter how wonderful it seems, no matter how frustrated you are, God offers the gift of His presence. Last week, we looked at the first week, of the first installment of this series, and we said, we said, God is present with you in our suffering. God is present with us in our suffering. And we said this, that when life is at its toughest, God is at his closest. That when life throws the curveballs, that when life is, is hurting your heart, that when life is breaking your heart, we said, I know it feels like you're alone, but you're not alone. Your marriage is not alone. Your singleness is not alone. Your kid, no, no, no. When life is at its toughest, God is at its closest. Today, we're going to see God break through, break through some lives of very unsuspecting people doing their own thing, pursuing an another way. In fact, we would say it was a wrong way of pursuing God. But now, here's the thing. If God is going to be like my brother in this, is that in that he knows where you're going, he knows where it'll end up, and he wants to course correct you. God is going to have to be politically correct, incorrect. Now here's what I mean by that. One of the greatest offenses in America today is to say that another person is wrong. We have an entire defense mechanism. We say this, don't judge me. If we come up to our friends and say, brother, sister, you're going in the wrong direction, they would say, don't judge me. Because it is, it is heresy to tell somebody that you're going in the wrong direction, you're going in the wrong way, and that if you continue going in this way, you're going to hurt yourself. It is like, it is like the unpardonable sin. The worst thing that you can do in society is not, listen to me, is not sin, is not go grievously against God. No, 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 no. The worst thing you can do in society is judge someone for their sin and going in the wrong direction. We have all sorts of defense mechanisms. We say things like, uh, uh, don't judge me. We say, hey, only God can judge me. 
right? Have you heard that before? To which I always say, uh, happened already, you're in a lot of trouble. And so, you really want to hear what I have to say. We say things like, we say things um, like, well, I'm just going to be true to who I am. All of these things are defense mechanisms against what God wants to do in our hearts. So God is going to have to be politically incorrect. God is going to have to say that in the story that we're going to read, God is going to have to say, you're wrong. You're wrong. No, no, not every way is the right way. You're wrong. No, no, just because you're sincere about your beliefs doesn't make them right. You're wrong. Now, you and I know this. You and I know that sincerity doesn't equal truth. But, but we hear it all the time. Hey, listen, how are you to tell somebody else that they're going in the wrong direction or that their views about God are wrong? You have your way. I have my way. And as long as you're sincere, then everything should be fine. But listen, beloved, sincerity doesn't equal truth. It never has. Let me give you an illustration of sincerity not equaling truth. Say, for instance, I was in a car. And say, you were in the car with me, and we were going to do like crash test dummies. We were going to be like crash test dummies, right? We were going to bring a car to about 80 miles an hour and hit a wall, right? Now, you, because you're very smart, you go, oh, I know, I'm going to buckle up. And you buckle up. You put on your seatbelt, and you go, but I don't know if this is going to work, really. I only have like 1% faith that this thing is going to work. In fact, I only have enough faith to actually put the buckle on. That's all the faith I got. I got no more faith other than that, right? And I go, and I go well, that's, that's very open of you. That's, that's, very, that's very good. I'm glad you feel that way. I, however, in this same vehicle that's going to crash into a brick wall, I am going to buckle up with a wet noodle. Now, I'm going to put this wet noodle around my chest, but I don't have 1% faith. I have 100% faith that this wet noodle will prevent me from going through the window and making a wonderful stain on a wall. Now, you go, Edwin. That's crazy. I go, who are you to judge me? You have your way of getting through this accident. I got my way of getting through this accident. Who are you to tell me that your way is better than my way? Who are you to tell me that your way is righter than my way? Who are you to tell me that you have access to the truth and that I don't? Get me my wet noodle. Splat! Now, right? Who survives that? 1% faith guy or 100% faith guy? 1% faith. Because here's the principle. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. This is an important thing, and we're going to get to the text, but you've got to understand this before we get to the text. Because it's not your view of reality is not based on how much faith you have, but on what you have your faith on. Not how much faith you have, but on what you have your faith on. 
Plenty of Muslims have more faith than I do. Plenty of Buddhists. Have, and I know that's politically incorrect. What are you saying? I know it's terrible. Plenty of Buddhists have more faith than I have. Plenty of atheists have more faith in believing that there's no God than I do. But we're not saying that it's your faith that saves you. We're saying that it's the content, it's the object of your faith that saves you. Now this is really difficult, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. If you could open, you go, but that's so closed-minded. And I would just beg you and just say, listen, time out. Truth is narrow. Truth is narrow. Truth is not open-minded. Truth is very closed-minded. Two plus two is four to the exclusion of every other number in the history of the world because it's narrow. Truth is narrow. And being narrow, we have to follow the truth. Secondly, I would say everybody, 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 everybody is narrow. Everybody's an exclusivist. In other words, everybody believes that they have their own right take of what's right and wrong. Everybody believes that. When, when people are looking at spirituality, they think that their take is better than your take. You don't believe me. Okay, truth. All right. Atheists believe that their take on spirituality is better than your Christian faith on spirituality. You don't believe me? Watch this. There's a sign up. People actually paid for this. Think about how crazy this is. People actually paid to have this sign up. And it's a picture. It's a Christmas. Uh, it's not what's it, the anti-Christmas um, thing. But it's a sign of Santa Claus uh, uh, touching his, um, his lips. And the sign says, go ahead and skip church. Just be good for goodness sake. That's a billboard sign. No, but think about this. Think about this. What, what, is that, what, what spiritual statement is that making? It's saying something. And it's not only saying something, it's making fun of something else. Why? Why am I showing you that? Because I hate atheists? No, I used to be one. I like atheists. All I'm saying, though, is that everybody is exclusive. Everybody thinks that their take on spirituality is right and everyone else is wrong. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a text where God's take on spirituality is right and some other guys might be wrong. And we're going to look at that and we're going to see how God is present even in those circumstances. Now, what, one of the things we do, tradition, we stand up and read God's word because he's awesome. He's wonderful. So would you? Now, we're going to read one of the most beloved stories and one of the most known stories in all of the Bible. It's the three wise men, or the gift of the magi. Now, here's the thing, funny thing. The Bible never says it's three guys. Never. It could have been two guys. It could have been 15 guys. I know, right? Mind blown, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Next, we're going to see some other things about the scriptures that it's going to be awesome. So on the count of three, I want you, we have a good long uh, passage to read. It's about 12 verses, but I want you to read in a full, full voice. But I only want the pretty people to read, all right? Only the beautiful people can read, okay? All right. So let's do this all together on the count of three. One, two, three. 
born in Bethlehem. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? He saw his star as it rose, and we have to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the rulers. Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when this first, first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, Come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Okay, now, you guys are familiar with this story? You've heard this story? Who here has not heard this story before today? Okay, so there's one. Okay, so there's a few of us. Okay, all right, so what's happening now, let me, for your, for your benefit, let me see if I can explain pretty quickly. What's happening is that you have these astrologers. I know we get uncomfortable saying that there's astrologers, but that's the point of the message. The point of the message is that God can reach out and touch anyone. These guys are astrologers looking up at the stars. Not, uh, they're looking up the stars and thinking that the stars can tell them uh, all about life. All, that, that's their religion. They look at the stars. Have you ever heard uh, of people? Yes. Right? Okay. And just a quick thing. The, the most popular uh, thing of astro the po most popular way of astrology now is um, your 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 tar not your tarot what is it your sign horoscope that's what it is if somebody ever says what's who you know what what are you you know and it's right right some right someone will say Sagittarius Cancer and anything right listen if someone says what what are you you tell them Christian okay. We don't, we're not cancer, we're not Saratoga. Yeah, but, you know, the, you know, the Taurus, they like have that, you know, that attitude about them. No, 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 no. 
No, 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 no. If we're in Christ, we're new creations. If you want to find out how your day is going to go, have some time in prayer. Don't, don't go to the newspaper. and Okay, but... However, 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 I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm not trying to make fun. I'm trying to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to help us to be more Christ-centered. Now, here's the deal. These guys put their hope in stars. And as they were diligently pursuing their religion, God broke in. God met them where they were. God interrupted their pursuit of an idol in order for them to know the one true living God. You know, I bet that's not the Magi story in this room. That's not just the Magi story in this room. I bet many of us were pursuing idols, worshiping things that we thought would make us happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. And we pursued those things with all of our life and all of our heart and all of our being only to find that those things did not satisfy. And it was in the pain of realizing that that God broke into your life and drew you to himself. He does the exact same thing. These people are pursuing a false religion. Do you know that's still true today? People will pursue, will pursue God in a God-forbidden way. And again, to say that I know is narrow. Again, again, to say that is to, is to be politically incorrect. But let me tell you something. God wants to grab a hold of our hearts, and he wants us to draw to himself, and he will bend over backwards to try to get your attention. You might be here, and this might be the first time you've been in a church, in a church atmosphere for a long time. You might be here, and this is like you've been coming for a while, you've been kind of kicking the Christian tires, you're not sure, all that. I'm telling you, you're here not because your friend invited you, your girlfriend invited you, your your. A uh, co-worker invited you. Ah, it's just something you do. It's Christmas. Might as well. Listen, you're here because God is reaching out to you. You're here because God wants to break through. In fact, that's today's lesson. God will break through in order to love you. God will do all of this. God will give them the coordinates coordinates in the sky so that he can draw them to himself and so that they can experience his love. I mean, what will it take for God to get your attention? See, for them, they were pursuing the thing that they loved, the thing that they thought would make them whole, the thing that they thought would make them happy if I just had this. This will satisfy me. This is what it means to live life. What will it take? What is it that you're pursuing that God has to break through in? What is it? Is it, let's, let's, let's do real talk. Is it your sexuality? Is it, is it the way, right? Are you a, yeah, in this church that would get a laugh. I get it. I know. I know. I know. 
Ay, Dios. All right, so. Listen, listen. Are you a guy who thinks that conquering women will get you the joy and the peace and the satisfaction? Is it your sexuality? Are you a woman who says, all I need is for him to love me? You know, it's true. They say this, but I think it's true. That men use love to get sex, and women use sex to get love. Isn't that interesting? But are you a woman who says, I will, I will abandon my morality, I'll abandon what I know is true, just so that I can experience love in its fullness? You're using your sexuality? Are you a person who identifies yourself as gay or transgender? Are you too using your sexuality? to identify yourself, thinking that if you just be true to who you are. Let me tell you something. The gigolo and the loose girl and the gay person, all of you who are trying to find your sexuality, your identity and your sexuality, you're all wrong. You're all looking to the wrong thing. You're looking to stars. And I'm telling you, he wants to show you the sun. In the text, we see that they not only see this, listen, they not only see it, but they obey. They start moving. I, this, is, this is just like God. He shows up and he tells them and he gives them some direction. And as he gives them this direction and as he's guiding them through, He's like, I'm just going to draw them a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Now, it's important to understand that, um, and this is just like a little piece of trivia. Did you know that the wise men were not there at the birth? Crazy, I know, right? Like some of y'all are like, that's it. This place is crazy. I'm leaving. Of course the wise men. No, 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 they weren't there. They weren't there, really. Here's, here's how you can know. Okay, watch this. The very first verse of the second chapter, what's, the word says, after. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In fact, Herod will take um, time to speak with the, um, with the wise men. He'll take time and speak with them to find out when did the star come up. Herod was afraid, but you know what the town said? The town, the, the, the people, the scriptures say that the town was afraid because Herod was concerned. You know why? Because Herod was a lunatic. Augustus Caesar, Augustus Caesar said, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. This guy was out of his mind. This guy killed his wife. He killed his son. He killed, like he was, he, I'm sorry, did I say wife? Wives and sons. He, he was out of his mind. He was trying to get information also, we know that Jesus was much older. It's because the word, the Greek word that the text uses is not infant. It uses the word infant when Jesus is born, but it uses the word toddler when he's, um, when he's sitting on Mary's lap. So Jesus was just shy of two years old. How do you come up with that number, two years old? Have you ever been curious about why Herod said, 
all the children two years or younger. Why? If it was an infant and he was that crazy, he could have said six months or younger or one year or younger. He didn't do that. You know why? Because it was about two years, maybe 18 months. We don't know. But these men followed whatever God's leading. Now, what's interesting is that God used astrology to, to start them on their journey, but he uses scripture to bring them to himself. Here's what we see. Jump down to verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now you know why they were disturbed, because what I just told you about, this guy is ruthless. He's out of his mind. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is awesome. God starts their journey by meeting them where they're at, but then God brings them to the scriptures. And says, listen, if you want to know me, you got to get to know the scriptures. Beloved, this is what we have. Those magi, those wise men, those astrologers, they went just with a little direction from God. They got more direction as they looked at God's word. And with that, they went all the way to find Jesus. Look at verse 7. I'm sorry. Jump down to uh, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, look, God is not using astrology anymore because stars don't move like that. Many scholars believe that God is using the same imagery that he used for Israel. Only, he was getting God's people out of Egypt. Remember, he would use a, a, a pillar of fire by, a fire by night and a, a cloud by day, right? And he led them and guided them. They're saying that this is the Shekinah, or um, the, 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 that's the Hebrew word for glory. This is the glory of God leading them. Let me pause for a second. God is doing that with you right now. This second, right now. He's saying, he's using his glory to draw you to himself. The person next to you feels nothing. They don't care about this talk, or maybe they do care. It doesn't matter. You sense God's spirit moving in you. He's been calling you since you were younger. He's been drawing you to himself. You know why? Because God, will give you this Christmas his presence. And he will do anything to break through in order that he might love you. Don't be like Herod. You know what Herod did when he heard this news of the Messiah? You know what Herod did? He tried to figure how he could hold on to what he thought was joy and happiness. And he did. He had all the kids in that region, two years or younger, killed Don't be like Herod. 
Don't say, that's it, I'm never going to come back to church. I can't believe they said that. Boy, that was really impolitically, that was politically incorrect. Man, that was uncomfortable to hear. I don't like what they say over there. Listen to me, listen to me. Don't you be like Herod and murder. The only hope you have. Because Christ is our hope. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I don't know if you know what overjoyed means, but there's like joy. Like, say for instance, I got a car for Christmas. I would be like, oh man, joy. That is awesome. (laughs) But say I got a car uh, that was also a rocket ship. (laughs) I would be overjoyed. (laughs) I'd be beyond joy. They were overjoyed. They find the Messiah, the Savior of the world. No longer do they have to wonder about stars. No longer do they have to wonder whether their lives will be fulfilled. No longer do they have to put all of their morality and all of their identity on someone or something in order to make them whole. Now they found the one the one who came from heaven to earth to be with them and who was for them and who would die in their place. They were overjoyed and then they gave them gifts and you know how that goes, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Listen, what do you do with that? Here's the first thing. If you're here, I want you to know that God is pursuing you. That this Christmas, God's present to you is his presence. And I want you to receive it. I remember when this happened to me. I'm telling you, it was crazy. God can meet you anywhere. I was in a a 12-step program. And I was making meetings, and I wanted nothing to do with God. I was an atheist. I had no no desire for God. But as I was working the steps, the spirituality thing started to kick up. And I said, all right, well, I guess I should study some sort of spirituality. So I looked at certain things. I, you know, looked at uh, Islam for a minute. And then I really, what I really liked was Buddhism. That's the thing that most drew me, right? It was, and not like, not like uh, real Buddhism, but like American Buddhism, Right? The, you know, Eightfold Path, but that's Buddhism. But, okay, the, but like American Buddhism. So I started to read, uh, uh, you know, Buddhism, Buddhism. And I remember, I remember where I was. It was a hot, hot August day in Queens Plaza train station. Has anybody here ever been in Queens Plaza train station? Yeah, it's a sauna. I mean, actually... People go to Queens Plaza to find out how much can people actually stand, how much heat can people stand, because when they build saunas, because I'm telling you, this thing was unbelievably hot. And so I was in Queens Plaza's train station, I'm not kidding, I was reading page 70-something out of a book on Buddhism, it's an American book on Buddhism, Um, and I was reading, and I was on page 70-something, and I remember it saying something about Buddhism that I thought was crazy, because the reason I was looking at Buddhism, because like that was the most, that made the most sense to me. It didn't require faith. It was just like the eightfold path of mindfulness. And, and so I was just, I was looking at it, and I was looking to myself, and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is true. This is right. This is good. I like this. This is, this is exactly where I want to go. And what happened was, I read something that I found unbelievable. When, I mean that literally. Like, I could not believe it. 
and I read, read it, and I shut the book, and immediately I said in myself, I said, you see, you know what? Because it took faith to believe what it said. It took faith. It, was, it had to do with reincarnation, and I was just like, oh, that's just so stupid. And I just said, I said, how could you prove that? How could you believe that? You see, it took faith for me to believe it, and I just wanted rationality. And so what happened was, is I got the book, I slammed it shut, and I said it in myself, I said, you see, I'll never find the truth. And in that moment, first time ever, God spoke to my heart. Now, I wouldn't have said God spoke to my heart back then. I would have said, I had a thought. (laughs) But I'm like uber spiritual now. So I said, God spoke to me. And the statement was this. Edwin, you're not running to the truth. You're running from me. You're not running to the truth. You're running from me. And I remember immediately knowing that the me was Jesus. And then I got angry and I said, you see, it's the culture that we live in. And that'll never, you know, right, like the culture I grew up in is like, you know, a Christian culture. And so that now it's going to pull on me and it's always going to be an issue in my own heart. And you know what? I remember praying a prayer. Hey, listen, I was like the Magi. I just was as slightly obedient to that one thing. Not much. But let me tell you something. These guys weren't looking for God. God was looking for them. And I wasn't looking for God. God was looking for me. I remember, and I don't recommend anybody pray a prayer like this. I remember praying a prayer that was just as offensive as it could possibly be. I mean, I can't imagine doing this to a president. But I remember praying a prayer. And it was this. I said, <clears throat> I was sitting down in the kitchen, and I looked up to the, to the ceiling. I said, I feel so stupid. I said, this is, I'm, I'm talking to myself. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church for a year. Because I had heard somewhere that if you do 90 meetings in 90 days, that things can change, right? And so I thought to myself, well, I can't do 90 meetings in 90 days, so I'll do a 50 and 50, right? And, you know, figuring that I would go on vacation for two weeks or something like that, right? And so, so I said, okay, so for a year, I'm going to congregate with Christians, And I remember saying this. I said, and if you don't do anything in that year, I'm just going to be a Buddhist. I don't even care about the the reincarnation thing. I'm just going to be a Buddhist. Uh, I'll deal with it. I wonder if you know how that story ended. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to keep you in suspense. Come back next week if you want to know how that story ended. Let me ask you, though, how's your story going to end? Are you going to see God going, look at me, look at me. Come on, follow me. I'm looking for you. You're not looking for me. The moral of the story is that none of us look for God. The moral of the story is that we're all looking to please ourselves in our own way, and God will break in even into your addiction and break in to draw you 
to himself. The moral of the story is, is that you want nothing to do with God and God wants everything to do with you. And he'll draw you and he'll use his word, but and then eventually he'll get you to his son. Come on, don't be too good for that. Come on. Stop it already. You've been fighting for too long. You've been arguing with that for too long. Gosh. He's the king of the universe. And he wants relationship with you. Don't say no to that. Don't say next year. Don't say tomorrow. Say yes to that. And so here's what you would be saying yes to. When we ask you to come to Christ, what we're saying is, is that you would, you would see these three truths. One is that you would realize that you're worse than you think. Oh, I know that's tough. I know because we all want to go, but I'm a good person. Let me be the first one to say I'm not a good person. If you don't believe me, you think I'm being humble, ask my wife. I'm not a good person. I've never been a good person. I've got desires and ideas. I've got stuff running in my head. I've got bitterness and anger and resentment. I've got all sorts of misconduct and sin running in my soul right now, and I occasionally act out on them. I'm telling you, I am not good. In fact, I regularly tell this congregation, you cannot outsin me. I am the heavyweight champ of sinners in this room. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you. I am worse than I think. I am. I am. And I wish I could convince you of that, but I... You are too. You are too. Today's sermon will be a tag team preaching session. And so... Okay. Welcome to Recovery House of Worship. Okay. So, I am worse than I think. You are too. You are too, right? Right, don't you have stuff that's in your closet that you don't want to tell anybody? That you don't even want to look at? Listen to me, listen. We're going to be serious for a second. We're going to be serious for a second. This is an important moment. You got stuff, I got stuff. I got stuff that I won't say to anybody. You got stuff. We're worse than we think. And because we're worse than we think, God sent his son to die. To die. To pay the penalty for your sin. Why? You go, that's so extreme. Because here's the deal. The deal is, is that God is holy, perfect, and good. And he can't accept anything but holy and perfect in his presence. And so you and I don't qualify. He's holy, perfect, and good. And so in order for us to be in God's presence, number one, we have to be holy, perfect, and good, which none of us are. And so God said, there's there's only one way to fix this. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth to live the life that you should have lived, but you know you didn't. And die the death that you deserve to die but you don't have to because he died it for you. So, I, so here's my story. My story is that I deserve the death penalty and Jesus paid it 
for me. He took my death. Because God will break through just to love you. So first thing we have to believe, the first thing we have to do is just believe, believe, believe that Jesus paid it all. That you, you know what that means to me? That means I no longer have to fake it. That means I can tell you that I'm the greatest sinner in this room and you can all vote to have me removed and it doesn't matter because I'm his kid. It means that my kids could hate me and I hope that never happens. And it means that my wife could leave me and I hope that never happens. And it can mean that all of you turn your back on me and I hope that never happens. But it does, it's, you're not my identity. You're good, but you're not God. God is God. And I have my identity in God. Therefore, when the stuff of life happens, when the husband leaves and the wife cheats, when the kids don't go the way, your joy and your happiness is supremely not in your children. You're hurt over that for sure, but you're not crushed because he is your identity, not your sexuality, not your riches, not what you can wear, not what you own, not what you do at work. Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. So we believe that. We repent and we say, I am a sinner. I am far from you. Here's the truth about me. You're right. I'm wrong. No more excuses. No more. But yeah, you don't understand. I grew up in this really tough way. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you don't understand. You know, uh, my, my dad gave me my first toke and that's why I became an addict. Yeah, but you don't understand. My mom really wasn't there. No, 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 no. In, in it all, I surely was victimized. But in one, at one point, I began to be my own victimizer. I began to volunteer. I was a victim at one point, and then I became a volunteer. This is, Jesus, you died on the cross, and let me just tell you, I am guilty, and you are good. You confess, and whatever, however specifically, when God invaded my life, there was just one thing that I confessed to him. You know why? Because it was the one thing that I thought I could never be forgiven for. It was the big one. You know the big one? You know, do you have the big one? Right? The, the one that's like you go, no way. You don't even like to think about it when I talk about it right now. So you repent. That's what the Bible calls it. But you just go, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And Jesus died on the cross for me. And then thirdly, you go, I want to follow you. I want to pursue you. I want to follow you. I'm going to obey. I'm no longer going to be the boss of my life. You're going to be the boss of my body. My body's yours. You tell me what to go. You tell me what to do. Now, in one minute, for those of you who have never received Christ, I'm talking to those who have never. If you've received Christ before, you don't have to stand. You can, you can go to God and say, God, I want to love you more. I want to follow you more. I want to pursue you more. And he'll do that. But you can do that seated down. Right now, I'm only interested in speaking to the people who have never received Christ. People who have, you've never bowed the knee to Jesus. He said, you know what? It's not for me. Would you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? He's closer than your shirt. He's closer than your shirt. In 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to do the most uncomfortable thing in the world. I'm going to ask you to stand at your feet if you want to receive Jesus Christ for the very first time. Beloved, don't say no to that. You go, but I don't have all of my questions answered. Good news, me neither. 
You go, but I'm not sure. I, I, I 100% believe. D- did you not hear the spaghetti story? I don't 100% believe. Nobody does. That's why they call it faith and not math. Listen to me. Listen, you. God is speaking to you. You go, but what will others think about me? Beloved, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? 